Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Sides of the Best Part, a podcast where we learn about the amazing passion projects undertaken by college students that are not related to their major. I'm once again, I'm your host, Lolo Jamo, and here we are with Carly. Hi. So you want to introduce yourself with your name, major? Sure. Um, so my name is Carly. I'm a senior. I'm a psychology major and neuroscience minor, and I uh, technically graduated from Hoham, but. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, Yeah, so tell me about the projects that you've done. Yeah, so I have a lot of different passion projects Mm -hmm. that I like to do. In general, I'm just a very artistic person, and Mm -hmm. I like to always be doing things like making hair scrunchies or making scrapbooks of my semester and stuff like that. Um, But I think that what would most qualify as a longer-term passion project that I put more time and energy into Mm. would be um, doing shows with the Maryland Shakespeare Players. Um, So I've acted in shows, and I haven't directed a full-length show, um, Mm. but I have directed scenes from shows during our mid-semester review. So the way that the group works is that um, at the end of every semester, we put on a full-length production, Mm. and halfway through the semester, we have a mid-semester review extravaganza kind of a thing where we have scenes from different Shakespearean plays and audience participation games and trivia and stuff like that. Um, So I directed a scene in our very first review and I'm also directing a scene right now. Um, And I think that it's a passion project to be directing a play when I'm planning on being a neuroscientist. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. So what made you first get interested in doing well, honestly, like the scrunchies and then you run like an oatmeal page yeah. <laughs> and um, the players. So can you just talk to like what made you interested in just starting those kinds of things? Um, I don't think that there's ever been a semester of college that I haven't been taking humanities classes. Mm. And even if I'm not in courses specifically, I just always like to be doing creative projects and activities so with things like sewing and stuff like that like crafting I think that's just like a personal outlet Mm -hmm. and I find things on Pinterest and I'm like oh I'm gonna invest all my time into trying this thing now um with the oatmeal account that you mentioned so that was after I spent a semester abroad um there I was in Copenhagen Denmark and there's this Mm. restaurant there that's basically the Chipotle of oatmeal um it's spelled G-R-O with a line through it D and it's kind of I'm gonna butcher the pronunciation but it's like gruel it's supposed (laughs) to sound like gruel like Mm. porridge kind of a thing um and my friend who was in Hoham but she transferred universities um when she changed her major uh she was also in the Shakespeare group she like she kept in touch with me um and like reached out to me about that and then we were keeping in touch by sending each other pictures of our oatmeal that we were eating Mm. and then we decided to make an instagram together to keep in touch and (laughs) make oatmeal in glass jars so that you can see all of the layers of toppings um so it's aesthetically pleasing yeah (laughs) but um so for something like that it's like that was our way of keeping in touch Mm. and the idea of doing it in a public account is so that we can share it with others and also have more motivation to actually eat breakfast. Yeah, true. Kind of a deal. <laughs> um, with the Shakespeare stuff and directing, um, I've just always really liked Shakespeare. We spent mm. a really long time in my like high school English classes yeah. working with Shakespeare. Um, and my personal take on directing is that I'm very interested in delving into the text mm. and trying to go as far as I can with that sure. as opposed to more action-based scenes and interest. Mm-hmm. I'm very interested in um, 
how can I analyze everything possible in this piece of text and what does it mean? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. Um, and staging it is about making pictures on stage and this and that to help understand the words on the page. Yeah. With that, like the first, so the first scene that I directed with the group, um, it was in our very first review and I took a monologue and I divvied it into three different characters mm. and then had it become more of an internal dialogue. Um, and then for the scene that I'm directing right now, um, that's kind of my passion project of this semester, yeah. is that... Um, it's a scene that's very monologue heavy. Mm. There's two characters on stage. It's the Portia and Brutus scene from Julius Caesar. Okay, gotcha. um, and there's literally two women in the entire show of Julius Caesar. Yeah. It's Portia and Calpurnia. Um, and Portia has the scene with Brutus, who's arguably the protagonist of Julius Caesar. Um, and it's kind of her only stage time. Mm-hmm. And the only time that we really get to hear a woman asserting her voice in this show. Mm. Um, and it's really interesting to be able to delve into the text and look at that dynamic and be able to put it on stage right. and also taking it out of context. What does it look like when the woman is the one in power in the scene and we're taking it out of the context of Brutus being the protagonist and Brutus being in charge the rest of the show. Um, although yeah. I guess that him being the protagonist is kind of about how he's never in charge of what's going <laughs> on the entire show. Yeah, um, But... I think that it's just really interesting when you're reading it in your English classes and this and that and then being able to do it and stage it and see um, what kind of choices can you make and how does that change the meaning Mm -hmm. that there's so many different ways that you can interpret the meaning when you're just reading it on a page. Yeah. Second semester of my freshman year because I like read a lot of Shakespeare too and I took like a course on it and especially last semester I took a course on just um, early drama around the Renaissance period in general. Um, and it's always amazing when you're in class and even in class your professors want you to try to stage it and read the text and see what you can do but there's only so much you can do in a class and there's only so much you can do just reading the text so I think to see that like you're going like a step and beyond and just doing that for your own passion and your own project that's a really amazing thing to see yeah Um, so how did you sort of manage Um, each of the passion projects you've been doing each semester along with being like you said that you're a psychology major and a neuro minor so how have you like handled all that work along with the passion projects you've been doing yeah so I like to think of passion projects as being the artistic outlet and Mm -hmm. the place where I can be happy and put in and invest my time to something that I get a return of course I get a return from my classes as well but I think that everyone needs something besides just academics to be able to feel fulfilled and satisfied in their lives um I I love my academics but I don't think that if I just did science Mm -hmm. that I would feel full also I'm very bad at managing unstructured free time (laughs) and I need a place to be able to specifically channel my energy into Mm. doing something and so if I have a particular project that I'm working on like oh I'm working on directing this show it's like I have free time and I don't know what to do with myself and I've already watched three hours of videos on YouTube like okay I'm just gonna focus on how can I think of more ideas what can I put into this thing Mm -hmm. um and so I also like to try to think of connections between my academic pathway and my passion projects. Mm -hmm. So for example, I'm really interested in dance as well. My Keystone project was about dance. Um, And through 
finding ways to explore that. I'm now helping to work on this dance EEG research study Mm. um, that's going on on campus that I wouldn't have known about if I hadn't invested my time and energy into looking into that particular passion and then being able to find this thing that was connecting it back to my academic interests. Mm -hmm. Um, Honestly, with Shakespeare, I think that there's a lot less clear and obvious overlap, Mm. but something that's been really meaningful and important to me with connecting that to my academics was when I studied abroad on my spring break, I visited the Shakespeare Theater, like the Globe Theater in London. Um, And on my tour there, they were talking about how the thing that Shakespeare does is try to understand what is it like to be these characters. Mm. Like Shakespeare didn't necessarily invent the storylines. That's why we all know, yeah. oh, Shakespeare plagiarized this <laughs> and that. Like these these stories existed already, but it was the way of telling them with yeah. soliloquies and monologues and asides that help you understand and get into that character's head and figure out what is it like. Right. Um, and at the time that I took that tour, I was also taking this class about the cognitive neuroscience of consciousness. <laughs> um, and this definition of what is it like is the literal exact definition that I have written down on my paper and my notes for my consciousness class Mm. about phenomenal consciousness and like the subjectivity of the human experience Mm. Um, and so it was kind of in that tour that I made this big connection about how my interests academically are about exploring the what is it like to be a person kind of a deal through this avenue of the brain Um, and in this passion project of doing Shakespeare and delving into character work or Mm. directing scenes that are monologues and monologue heavy and trying to understand the dynamic between those characters, it's again still trying to get at that same thing that I'm interested in, Mm -hmm. in the what is it like. Um, And so exploring those character dynamics is really then similar in a way to my academic studies because in both respects, I'm trying to understand people nice nice um did that answer your question yeah 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 (laughs) all right so it's another time for the best part of sides this segment um so we're just gonna get right to it this is where we talk about unpopular food opinions once again and if you want to be a part of it remember to follow my personal instagram at i-t-s-o-m-o-l-o-l-a-a all right so the first question i asked was what is the best kind of cookie now i particularly said that please do not say oatmeal raisin because oatmeal raisin to me it has to be the worst cookie to ever be made and i find it funny because after i asked this question my brother went out and bought oatmeal raisin cookies and i was so disappointed in my own family uh, but yeah we get to it so there's a lot of chocolate chip yes i do agree I actually saw a lot of white chocolate macadamia and I didn't know there are a lot of people that liked white chocolate macadamia. So I'll give you all that. That is a good one. Snickerdoodles. Now snickerdoodles. If you know me, you know that I have a weakness for anything with cinnamon sugar. So snickerdoodles, cinnamon buns, I like that's 10 times better than chocolate to me. Cinnamon sugar, 100%. Um, fudge stripes are really good. Okay, we got Oreos, yeah. Someone said soft, almost melting sugar cookies. I understand that. Sugar cookies are only good. Well, they can be good cold, but when they're hot, that's the best. Okay, we have, oh, you people said oatmeal raisin. Come on. There has to be better cookies than oatmeal raisin. Chocolate chip, 
period oatmeal chocolate chip oh oatmeal chocolate chip see the problem with oatmeal raisin cookies isn't the oatmeal i like oatmeal i actually like the oatmeal cookie if it was just an oatmeal cookie i would eat that 100 it's the raisins i hate raisins i'm so sorry to anyone who listens to this and likes it no we can't do that i'm so sorry peace oatmeal raisin isn't it um the next question i asked was would you rather stick with the og versions of your favorite snack the original version or would you rather enjoy different flavors um this kind of wasn't necessarily a polarizing controversial question it was more just kind of seeing where you guys were at um so of course 20 votes for yes and eight votes for no i personally think it depends on the snack for me for the most part i like to stick to the original i guess the only snack that i the only snacks that i really like the some other flavors would be cheetos i particularly think the cheddar jalapeno cheetos are the superior cheetos um well for cheese it's i like the extra toasty ones better than the original but that's not really a different flavor that's more of like a different feel i don't know i don't really count it as a different one um but yeah i wanted to see who was like regular versus flaming hot cheeto kind of person um but yeah so you know flavor variations are always great but i i personally stick to the ogs does that make me basic maybe but this is my podcast so we get back to the interview um one thing that some other people in the podcast have mentioned is sort of that for some people um their passion projects are sort of that outlet for them like compared to their major um for some people their passion projects are the things that they care about more than their major and their major is like sort of what they're planning to use to support themselves while they pursue that passion and then for some people they're able to find those really deep connections between the two um i think the more that you dive into it and the more that you sort of recognize um the essence of what your passion project is i think you're able to find more connection points between the two so it doesn't feel like this is my passion project and then on the other side is my major and they're two completely different worlds but you're able to sort of meld them into who you are and like sort of shape yourself through that yeah i think that it is difficult for me to completely divest my passion for Mm. neuroscience with my passion for shakespeare because in the end they both kind of create like me yeah like what I think that who I am is what I care about Mm -hmm. um and so if I care about both of these things in different ways are there connections between them why do I care so much about doing both of those things and pursuing those I think that's why um Shakespeare has kind of been a constant that I will always be working on a Shakespeare Mm. in some capacity versus these other things like I honestly haven't eaten breakfast or made oatmeal in like a month and a half (laughs) um and I don't want to make a scrapbook of my semester because Mm. I just it just doesn't feel like I should I'm just gonna buy a yearbook for this semester um I ran out of fabric for my scrunchies and I haven't ordered more (laughs) but like I'm still doing Shakespeare yeah um and being involved in theater and Mm -hmm. trying to pursue how can I keep theater in my life yeah kind of a thing so sort of like going off of that how has there been any like difficult moments like where you've been like even though you are able to find the connections difficult moments where you're like i need to keep up with my passion project but i also need to like keep up with my major um 
I think that my most difficult moment for that actually was about dance. Mm. There's a semester, I think it was while I was working on my Keystone. Mm. I was so much more interested in my Keystone than any of my classes that semester. <laughs> um, and I was feeling very confused about why it is that I cared so much more about my dance classes than my psych classes mm. at the time. Um, and I think that... I, I think that that was more of a crux. I don't think I've ever felt conflict with doing theater. Mm. Um, but I also think that in our academic courses, there will always be things that we dislike and that we have to get yeah. through and that there are always foundational skills or foundational things that we need to do mm. in order to get where it is that we want to go. Um, yeah. And especially when you're doing research also, a lot of the tasks and things you're physically doing can be tedious boring jobs mm -hmm. and the interesting part is that you have to figure out the theory behind it like the yeah. why are you doing this and be able to have that justification there mm -hmm. to know um oh the reason i'm spending hours coding this thing is to explore this greater concept of yeah. memory etc um and i think that so i think that when you're doing a passion project a lot of times because the end goal is kind of the point of the project mm -hmm. I think that it can be easier to see that bigger picture versus in our academic coursework you can get bogged down in the steps that you need to do mm. because the end goal is further away yeah that makes sense so I think that's like an interesting um idea because sometimes it's like maybe this passion project will get in the way of my academics but sometimes sort of splitting the view of the two and like my passion project I think I can see what it's clearly going to be versus like my academics where especially as like a freshman sophomore when you're taking like your gen eds and stuff and you're like I don't even know exactly if what my major is going to turn into what I think it's going to turn into yet so I think that's interesting and in seeing um sort of a crux within the academic side more so than the passion project sort of affecting the academic side so do you think that anything has sort of changed about you as you've been doing these passion projects throughout um, college? Um, that's a difficult question because I think that I have changed a lot as an individual going mm. throughout college. And so trying to identify the specific role that being invested in projects has played, it's, it's unclear because there is also always so many other factors happening. True. Um, I think that... I, so that first scene that I said that I directed with the group in our first review, that was my second semester freshman year. And I think that um, as an example of a way that I've changed, choosing to take on that leadership role of, yeah, I'm going to try my hand at directing. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, I'm going to try this. Um, I think that doing that is an example of an instance in which I started taking on leadership responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And I think you learn a lot about yourself when you begin to do leadership mm -hmm. um, in a in a sense, it, regardless of what kind of leadership you're doing. Right. I think that taking on any project, I think that goal planning, time management, I think that um, I think that taking on a passion project and saying like, why is it that I'm interested in doing this in the first place and what you're getting out of it can help change you as a person. Mm -hmm. um, so it's just really difficult to identify a specific way that doing a particular project has changed me besides the, th I mean, like in my Keystone project, like there's 
I, I feel like that's not technically a passion project because I got like <laughs> credit and I was doing it for Hellhum. Mm. But um, I learned things from doing it, kind right. of a deal. I think that completing a passion project, you also learn about yourself too mm. in deciding like when is XYZ done. Yeah. Um, if you're directing a play or a scene for a play and there's a performance date set, it's done when it gets performed. Yeah. Um, when you're doing your keystone, you kind of have to decide at what point is this finished because technically you don't actually even have to have it done before you uh, show it yeah. at the symposium. You can have unfinished pieces still happening there. Um, I know for my keystone, deciding like where's the finishing point was a big point of growth for me mm-hmm. and the idea of that this is an ending and I have to move on from it yeah. and, and putting those boundaries and like where is this no longer something that I'm pursuing. I get that. I get that. You sort of mentioned this before um, with sort of you want to continue doing passion projects. So looking past graduation, do you think that you're going to continue with the Maryland Shakespeare players or just continue to start various passion projects after college? Um, That's a great question. That's a really great question. (laughs) (laughs) I guess it also depends on where I physically end up after college. Mm. I mean, I physically cannot continue with campus groups when I'm no longer part of the campus community. Mm -hmm. And so being part of Shakespeare... I will no longer be part of that in this context, in this setting. I know that theater will continue to be part of my life, but whether I'll even be in a position to find opportunities to take on leadership within that, as opposed to just being a spectator Mm -hmm. who seeks out and sees shows around me, um, I honestly don't know if I have the ability to do so. I don't Mm. know that I have the resources to start a theater group if I'm in a PhD program. and I'm trying to figure that question out as well, hmm. honestly. I mean, <laughs> honestly, like, yeah, that's just life sometimes. It's like you have to keep learning. You have to keep looking because, like, sometimes opportunities just, like, look at you in the face, like, when you never know it. So I'm, like, hoping for good luck, in, like, when you're searching for that. So if you could say anything to sort of just a student who wanted to start up a passion project for themselves, what would you say? I think I would say that if you care about it, you can do it as long as you have the time, energy, and emotional capacity to do so. Mm -hmm. Um, And also that, I guess, depending on what the project is, to consider whether you realistically can do this alone. Mm. Um, If it's something like theater, you need to find a community to be able to do theater with you. And you can, I think, make I think that if you're passionate about something, it comes across and it's easy to find others who are also passionate about mm-hmm. those things. Um, but that you do, I think, need a community to be able to do projects to share with you. Right. Um, I mean, I guess if you're writing a novel or something, you don't really need other people. But if you're trying to get editors or something, yeah. I, I just feel like you need others on board. Even if you're mm-hmm. writing a novel and it's the solitary activity, I feel like you would need people to bounce ideas off of, possibly yeah. people to edit your work, etc. Right. Even if it's just the personal like National Novel Writing Month, I want to sit down and do this for myself kind mm-hmm. of a thing. Yeah. Um, so just, I guess, never consider even a solitary activity to be totally solo. Find that community who will yeah. support you in doing it. Right. Um, so make sure you have the time, energy, an emotional capacity and make sure that you find a community who will be supportive of you in mm-hmm. pursuing that project. Nice, thanks. So do you have any socials for your projects and your own personal socials either? Uh, oh, social medias? Yeah. Um, I mean my oatmeal account that I haven't posted it on for like a month. <laughs> 
follow whatever flows your oats if you want like <laughs> beautiful pictures of oatmeal and glass jars from two hohumalum shakespeare i mean maryland shakespeare players instagram like md underscore shakespeare nice um but i don't really have socials for my other stuff yeah it's totally fine yeah so this was sides of the best part um thank you carly for being with us today and we will see you guys next time